Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here is the sports editor for the Omaha World Herald, Sam McEwen. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Sam McEwen. Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to throw the ball and you just stand back there and throw it where you want to go. You know, that kind of thing. Sam McEwen. Are you guys going? Um, sure. Now, Sam McEwen. Kicking off hour number two with our friend Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline. Sam, how are you this morning? Good, 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 good. Happy, uh, happy late January. How are you? Uh, we are doing well. Um, I wanted to, you know, kick off a place that I wish I was over the weekend. Uh, in this late January, and that was the Polynesian Bowl. Um, definitely would have preferred to have been there. Uh, for some reason, I don't know if I, I missed the assignment, but Herdat Sports didn't feel the need to send me to <laughs> Hawaii to cover that. Um, but as you saw, three future Huskers in that game. Obviously, Dylan Rayola got a lot of the headlines. Carter Nelson maybe had the best game, and then Preston Taumua um, obviously was there as well, the Hawaii native. Um, did you get anything out of that game? It, was there anything that st- stood out to you, or was it just kind of like, oh, it's cool that Nebraska has people on the stage? Yeah, I mean, it's always a hard uh, setting for offensive players. Sure. Um, there's not a lot of team chemistry. There's not a lot of time uh, to to kind of sync things up, and so the defense is invariably ahead. There were a ton of turnovers in the game, but I, I thought Dylan had a couple of good throws. Uh, I thought he managed the pocket well. I thought there were a couple of improvisational moments that were uh, pretty impressive. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously, he has to do that at the collegiate level against collegiate players. But, uh, yeah, there were some good things to see there. Carter Nelson, I think, is uh, is an interesting player and, and has, has really prepared himself for the role that Nebraska says they want him to have. So they want him to be a player who is a threat at every level. So if you wanted to break it into three levels, it would be behind, you know, behind the line of scrimmage and at the line of scrimmage, sort of the intermediate route, and then the deep stuff. And uh, he's actually his high school career prepared him for that. He's run a lot. He's done a lot of things. And I thought, you know, he he showed he showed some of those skills. Obviously, those players are few and far in between uh, in college football, but. Uh, and even Brock Bowers, who's a terrific player, did, did carry the ball. He was a tight end. So mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see how they use Carter Nelson and, and the ways in which he's able to, to help the team. Sam, are you – I guess how have you looked at Carter Nelson's first couple experiences with 11-man football? Obviously he had the previous All-American game and then the Polynesian Bowl. I know that was something that people had been bringing up a lot about maybe his – adjustment period to um, playing not just college football but a different style of football in 11 man have you have what you've seen in the last couple sort of exhibition games made you rethink maybe his timetable at all I thought his timetable was 
you know, pretty much immediate anyway. Okay. So if they if they feel like he's somebody that they need a red shirt because they need to bulk him up, um, okay. But you know, I mean, the, the the things they're asking him to do are not necessarily all that different related to eight man or eleven man high school football. <laughs> There's a difference between high school and college. Mm-hmm. And so that adjustment will have to be the exact same for him as it would have been for a player at the 11-man level. So, you know, the adjustment that Carter Nelson has to make and Isaiah McMorris has to make is the same uh, from high school to college. So, you know, I think that's that's probably where it stands. But he's very talented, and and uh, I'll be curious to see how it how it all goes for him uh, here uh, this spring. As we speak of just exciting updates and new additions to teams, I saw the article you published yesterday just about kind of the landscape of the Big Ten in the offseason, and so much of it has changed. It's only January. Has there been anything that's really stuck out to you amongst the other teams in the Big Ten on top of just the depth that Nebraska's added or just what maybe what surprised you the most or what maybe you are anticipating to change the most as we get into 2024 football season in the Big Ten? There's a lot that Michigan can't do, Avery, in that <laughs> because they don't know what their co- their coach is going to do. Yeah, yeah. And so when the when the transfer portal opened up for Alabama after Nick Saban retired, you know Michigan can't really make any run at a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't they can't go after a guy. Um, they have to kind of sit there. And I I could I I think I would say with some confidence that if if Michigan knew that Jim Harbaugh was going to be the coach, I, I think they would have made a move for Julian Sand for sure. Mm. Uh, the quarterback that dropped Alabama is going to Ohio State, which yeah. also has another five-star quarterback. Here. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. Um, you know, I thought that was notable, if, if, to be really honest with you. And and Ohio State uh, really, really played played aggressively. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, 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 they obviously added the quarterback. They added Caleb Downs. They've, uh, they've done a nice job of trying to stay on top of things. They hired an offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien. Mm-hmm. You know, he's getting crapped on a little bit right now, but but that's obviously a terrific hire. I mean, yeah. he, mm-hmm. he's very good at his job. It's kind of like when Ohio State hired Greg Schiano and everybody had to look around in the national media and act like it was a bad hire and it wasn't a bad <laughs> hire. It was a great hire. And Bill O'Brien's going to be a great hire, too. Um, you know, regardless of what he thought of Jalen Milrose two years ago, is immaterial to what, what he's going to do at Ohio State. So, um, I think Ohio State's had a very good offseason so far. Michigan's just had to sit there and wait and decide, let Harbaugh decide. And then you have Iowa, who's still looking for an offensive coordinator, too. Yeah. And that needs to get resolved because they, you know, Iowa need, it's, it's not that far away in some areas from being a really good program. They need they need a coordinator to come in and, and create a vision that actually wins games, wins the biggest games. Um, and, and obviously, uh, Kirk Ferentz's kid didn't do that. Iowa also hired a athletic director. Um, mm-hmm. Beth Guest got a five-year deal. She's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have, if, if Nebraska had not hired Trev Albert, that would have been my number two pick. Um, I think she's a terrific, lots of Big Ten experience, will do really well there. You know, may ruffle some feathers within the football program, but already made a, what I would consider to be a terrific decision with Brian Ferentz, getting, you know, basically firing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was smart on her end and and so i think they made a really good hire there and i think they're going to like what what that becomes over the course of the next decade we're talking with sam McEwen from the omaha world herald uh sam you know i was thinking about that ohio state situation and um with the quarterback room specifically you mentioned the two five stars they also brought in will howard they also have two highly regarded guys that are in the room from before i mean obviously uh, 
some of those guys have to stay because Will Howard doesn't have anywhere else to go at this point. But, I, I mean, this is a pretty rare situation in today's landscape of college football to have this many kind of highly regarded guys in the room at once. How do you think that ends up playing out for Ohio State? Somebody will transfer in spring. Uh, obviously, it won't be Will Howard. Uh, Ohio State's going to have the best of both worlds where – they're going to be able to tell their freshman quarterback, listen, we, we got a guy for this year. You can learn to develop. You're on the Jordan Love plan or the Aaron Rodgers plan or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, so you can sit over there and wait. You're not playing this year. And, you know, I, and I think on some level, Julian Sayan can say, oh, well, I knew that going. I went there with my eyes wide open. I don't know if Aaron Nolan can say that. And the other guy, he had his chance. He played against Missouri, and he, he didn't play well. Uh one of them got hurt, and the other one, no. So, um, and I think they're both still there, right? Devin Brown's still there, and then the other guy that came in, I can't remember. Lincoln Kynholz? Yeah. Yeah, they're I, still there. Yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't look like anything. It, <laughs> no. It didn't look good. Now, it's worth watching Lincoln because he's obviously from South Dakota, and Nebraska got on him late um, in the process. So we'll see. I mean, they've got, they got a bunch of blue chips there. They'll figure it out. Um I've said this already once, and I'll go over all the Big Ten teams here in February when spring football begins. Will Howard is an interesting choice mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there are things that Will brings to the table. Um, I've watched a lot of Kansas State football. Um, he is a Josh Allen-type player. He's not as good as Josh Allen, not as athletic. But he hits a lot of deep throws. He's not the most accurate guy in the short to intermediate range, but he can run. And so, like, how Ohio State incorporates him into the offense. What I would say of Kyle McCord is he actually was a pretty accurate quarterback from short to intermediate, but he labored to make the hardest throws on the field, and that was a change from what Ohio State had experienced with C.J. Stroud and Fields and Haskins, the late Dwayne Haskins. All three of those guys who do all the hard things. Um, McCord wasn't great at that. Howard is really good at the hard things, and so I think Ohio State wants to bring that deep throw back into play, and they'll be able to do it with with a strong-armed guy like Howard. Sam, I want to touch one more thing on the Big Ten here before we move on to some Nebraska basketball. Um, You mentioned the situation with Michigan and Harbaugh. My assumption is he's going to be coaching in the NFL next year, but, again, that's just my assumption. If he does move on, is there a name at the top of your mind that you're like, "That's that's the guy they should look at in replacing Jim Harbaugh? I think they would probably hire, you know, Sharon Moore, uh, the the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. I don't know that there's any immediate fix outside of that. I think Ward Manuel would give Moore the opportunity. Um, he's already won to know against Ohio State. I think that's, you know, he legitimately led the team in the last month on game day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a sense that he can do the game day coaching. And I think the thing that Jim Harbaugh's greatest strength, at least at the collegiate level, isn't something that can be duplicated by Moore or really anybody else. But it might be best duplicated by a guy who's already there. And that is sort of this maniacal, uh, you know, certitude that that uh, that Harbaugh brings to the table. It generates belief in his players. And then they kind of have that, they kind of have that belief. And I don't know if there's a guy outside that program that's really going to bring that there uh, more than, you know, than Moore would. And so I think he would get an opportunity. Um, I think Michigan very much wants Harbaugh to return. And, and I think, uh, you know, I could see the Chargers hiring Jim Harbaugh because they need something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, They don't make much of an impact in that market. <clears throat> I, 
I have no idea why the Falcons <laughs> would hire Jim Harbaugh over Bill Belichick. Mm. I, and I still don't think that <laughs> that would be a wise move. I, I think Belichick can make you better pretty quickly, even if you don't have a great quarterback. Um, Harbaugh probably needs that player. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, I think there's some teams that want to at least kick the tires on Harbaugh. But, you know, the Vikings did that a couple of years ago, and the Vikings wisely walked away from it. And they were like, you know what? We got this other guy. We like him. And so Har- Harbaugh needs to be, be hired by somebody. And, and I'm not sure that there are a ton of franchises that want to deal with that. Um, I, I just don't think there are. And you can see the success of some of these young coaches in other spots. You know, D'Amico Ryan's in, in Houston, and uh, I, I think you're going to see teams continue to go young. Mike McDaniel in Miami, you know, Harbaugh's 60 years old. I know he doesn't act like he's 60, but mm-hmm. you're going to have to really find a sweet spot for this guy, or otherwise you're going to see teams and owners continue to go with the 30-something crowd mm-hmm. because that's been really successful, and, and I don't think you can just turn away from that uh, easily. We're talking with Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald. Sam, Switching gears here to Nebraska basketball. Um, before we get to the actual game, I did want to bring up, obviously this was the uh, kind of the weekend honoring Danny Knee uh, down at Nebraska. And I, the thing that I keep thinking about with Coach Knee was how, uh, how successful he was at Nebraska and how no one really else has been able to replicate that really before or since what in I mean, what in your mind did he do so well that translated to Nebraska that nobody's el- nobody else has been able to figure out? A couple of things. Uh, one, he was able to, to to unlock Omaha in the recruiting, mm-hmm. and that was um, at the time that he was was uh, at his best. They had Eric Strickland and Terrence Badgett, and, well, Woolridge was there for a year. Um, they had local kids. Uh, Ron, Bruin, Ron Boone, obviously, from Omaha. Jerron decided to come to Nebraska. That, that's kind of like a local Omaha recruit. Jerron uh, could have gone other places, but he went here. Uh, and then, you know, Eric Pikowski was mm-hmm. from South Dakota, but really from, you know, from western Nebraska. Chubbick, <laughs> excuse me, Chubbick. <clears throat> so they did a really good job of recruiting, you know, within locally. He had an assistant on his staff in Jimmy Williams, and Jimmy Williams was an expert at getting at getting centers. And so from the time that Jimmy Williams joined the staff until I, don't, I think he may have left right before he got fired, or I can't remember, maybe he left after. But, you know, let's, let's rattle off the centers. You know, Rich King uh, was, was there, Mikey Moore, Derek Chandler, Tony Farmer, Benson Hamilton, Monty Friend. These are really good players. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. No, no, no joke. I mean, uh, you know, Mikey Moore was in the the NBA for 15 years, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Kamani could have been. You know, Kamani had other things, and I, uh, you know, but he ended up playing in Europe for a while until he had his issues. Um, but you know, like they had super talented post players. Stephon Bradford. Um, you know, so they were able to recruit really, really good posts, and then you know he was able to supplement it with. With uh, with with the right city guards, Jamar Johnson in the early and there in the nineties, Henry T. Buchanan back in the eighties, and then Teron Lue, of course, the three years that Teron was there. Um, 
getting those players and Cookie Belcher too. So like a lot of it, honestly, was the players. It was, you know, Danny was, I guess, you know, he, he, he had some moments coaching wise. I, I remember he coached, he coached the pants off of Dan Altman one year in the late 90s, 97, 98. He put a defense on an Altman team and, it, you know, Creighton didn't know what to do. Rodney Buford was, was on that Creighton team, so it wasn't a bad Creighton team. So he had his moments coaching wise, but I think Danny would tell you it was the player. And, and he was a hell of a recruiter. I think that was that's what made the difference, is that he, he got kids to come here. And then when they came, and I covered the team in the in the mid to late 90s, so, you know, the 96 team that went to the NIT and lost to UConn, uh, the 97 team that went to, you know, 98 team that went to the NCAAs, and then the, the, the following team that should have been in the NCAA tournament but wasn't. Um, I wouldn't describe Danny Nee's relationship with every player as, like, warmth. I, there was combativeness. I think there was, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of friction. There was a lot of tension, especially after the walkout. But, you know, when they got onto the court, they, they played their butts off. And, and I think that's what made Danny Nee special, is that he could get the guys to play when they absolutely had to play, and he got pretty darn good players. And I think those are the, that's the combination that really, really matters. Um, even his last team, which was not very good, and it got him fired, that team had more talent than the team that Nebraska is putting out on the floor now. They didn't have any chemistry, and there was, there was a bunch of guys playing as individuals. That team had talent. Um, so recruiting, that's what Danny Nee did better than any coach since him. You mentioned some of the success stories um, in the late 90s when you got to cover them. Just in that Nebraska basketball era and the Coach Nee era, any favorite memory or story come to mind for you personally? Yeah, I mean, I think there were – I mean, Nee himself, his – his Monday or Tuesday press conferences <laughs> were in a little Devaney room where they have the Devaney press availability now, actually. But back then it was a table and everybody kind of eat lunch and, and he'd come in and he'd kind of usually come in in a huff and he'd sit down <laughs> and make jokes. <laughs> and he would joke, you know, I mean, he was good at that. And back then Lee Barknick was the, the beat writer for the World Herald. So he always kind of got the first question and the last question. And, um, you know, it, it was, you could kind of, there was just a culture around the program. And again, I wouldn't describe it as like, it was a little dysfunctional. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, you know, that, and then of course, Lou. I mean, Toronto Lou is, is, you know, one of the, I don't know, three best players in school history. Mm. You know, I, and maybe that's overdoing it. Um, for me, that's not overdoing it. I mean, I think Pykowski and Lou and, uh, Stu Lance. That's probably it. And, um, you know, so watching him play was was special uh, because he was a special special player, and and his relationship with Danny was interesting because Lou is, you know, basically the model citizen, you know, perfect off the court, perfect on the court, and so to watch him, <laughs> the, the, the you know the contrast between him and me, he was always you know Toronto always said the right things and was about the right things, and he was kind of a wild card so it was interesting <laughs> to watch their contrast but they fit so yeah those are those are the those are the memories uh that i have it was a fun time it was fun and it was a funny time because the guy liked to make jokes we're talking with sam McEwen from the omaha world herald uh sam let's move to this year's team and their win against northwestern over the weekend how important to you was that particular game for nebraska to kind of get back on track uh, after having lost three of their last four. 
the, that road schedule for the Big Ten has still been really tricky for Nebraska. Um, how important was that Northwestern game? Important. Uh, that's a team that Nebraska struggles to beat and hasn't beaten for a while. Not sure they've beaten him in the Hoiberg era. And so I think that was a good win for, for Hoiberg and a good win for the program. Uh, I mean, Northwestern doesn't do anything fancy, but they, you know, they play. And Nebraska beat them. Uh, you know, I think tomorrow night's game is really important, and, and, and Nebraska should win the game. I think they match up really well with Ohio State. And now Ohio State's athletic, and they're, you know, they're, they're athletic. They have, they have athletic talent that Nebraska probably lacks, but I think Nebraska's a better executing team, and I think on its home court, Nebraska is a hard team to beat. So uh, I, I think it's going to be, you know, important for, for Nebraska to play really well tomorrow night. I'd say tomorrow night's game is huge. Because Ohio State's going to the NCAA tournament. I, I, I don't know if Northwest is going or not. Um, I think it's going to be a, a true bubble. Um, Ohio State will be there. So um, I think that's probably something to watch is tomorrow night. You know, DeWan Gary will be back when he's back. I, I don't know if it's going to be right away. I do think they can win games without him as they showed on Saturday. And, uh, you know, I thought it was I thought it was good. This is a bubble team, right? You can you can you can start to you can start to think about what that's going to look like and feel like over the next three, four to six weeks. The team's going to feel the pressure. They're going to feel it, and and it's going to be every night. It's going to feel like that, and they're going to have to play through it. And that's part of the fun part is both the men's and women's teams at Nebraska are going to have to work through the pressure of knowing that every win and every loss could put them on the right or the wrong side of the bubble. Whereas at Creighton. That's not the pressure there. Mm-hmm. Creighton's pressure is, can we play so well down the stretch here? And I don't know if they can, but can we play so well that we, we basically play our way into a two or a three? And then you're, then you're thinking about how you set yourself up for the following weekend. Um, and that's not really the Creighton women's issue, but you know they, they want to do that too. Let's play ourselves into an elite seed. And, it, and for the Creighton women, it's, can we play ourselves into a four and host two games? And for the men, it's can we play ourselves into a two or three and set ourselves up for weekend two, which is where Creighton wants to make its money this year. Um, where Nebraska's story is every game, game in and game out, you're going to have a little needle. <laughs> it's like, are they in or are they out mm-hmm. for both the men and the women? And and it'll be fun to watch them play through that pressure because that is real stuff. And uh, you watch Nebraska football. They, they, they were on the cusp of a bowl for a month. And they just They couldn't handle it very well. Yeah, the Michigan State game they did not handle that well, and I think they would all say that was their worst game of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nebraska, you know, playing with pressure is something that I think the, mm-hmm. the Nebraska men's basketball team has to learn, and they haven't played with that pressure since Tim Miles last year, and they didn't handle it very well that year either. Yeah, as we've seen, you know, on the road, like you say, that pressure, it, they can't find a way to execute much on the road at home. Home court's kind of a different story, but I feel like before this Northwestern game on Friday, we discussed, you know, Juwan Gary being out. You obviously have the three-point production from Casey, but it felt like we've been waiting for a player to really step up. And I know Mike Sauter on Friday said, waiting for Josiah Alex to kind of become that dominant force down low. And I think we saw a little bit of that against Northwestern, you know, 15 points, five rebounds, kind of made more of a just a presence. Do you feel like he has to be a guy that just really steps up and becomes much more dominant to help in these close games that Nebraska keeps having? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think Josiah would say it really better than I can. He he's a really good player. He just needs to play within himself. And yeah. so sometimes he gets a little he gets a little ahead of things and offensively that hurts him. Mm-hmm. When he plays within the flow of his game, 
uh, he's a double-digit scorer, and yeah. he knows that, and he played like that on Saturday. Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald. Great stuff, Sam. We appreciate your time, as always. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, take care. Wanted to touch on a couple things that Sam mentioned about the Big Ten landscape coming up. We'll hit that here on Herd Out Sports Radio.